Logical Progression, Year 3, Lesson 10. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Wal aqibatu lil mutaqeen. Wa la udbana illa ala al-zalimeen. Wa salwatullahi wa salamuhu ala ashraf al-anbiya'i wal-mursaleen. Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa ashabihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. Wa anta tajul al-hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya Rabbil Kareem. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It's my pleasure, my pleasure to be here um, at the hospitality of Arshad Bay and uh, uh, with uh, a, a manzil which we hope will bring more falah for everyone who is involved in this uh, effort, mashallah. Uh, the first time that the LP uh, roadshow has been will come anywhere near Asia actually first time mashallah in Islamabad we are here um, this session is from Islamabad with uh, the good brothers and sisters from Live Deen and Youth Club and some from Al Huda and here and there we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to increase their efforts in khair and to bring the hearts together and for them to remain united and to make sure that they do the good hard work that they continue to do Allahumma Ameen so um, logical progression then um, we are, uh, this week's session we will be uh, going straight into the next lesson um, and some of you, uh, it will be the first time for you guys so you might be feeling a bit lost um, but when you review it on the portal then you will see the notes in front of you and so on it will become a lot easier for you to then actually to understand uh, what is going on we are currently towards the back end, I'm guessing next week is when we will finish uh, our next lesson is when we will finish the current chapter. What chapter are we doing? We're doing Nawaqid al-Wudu. We're doing the invalidators of ablution. Those things which basically uh, 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 ruin your wudu, break your wudu. And obviously there's a lot of detail. We I think got now eight, nine uh, lessons now just on this subject. And we've covered a number of them. Um, and today from the text of Zaid al-Mustaqni' We are reading number 9 and then the text which comes after it. So Imam um, Al-Hajjawi, alayhi rahmatullah, he said, I, I don't need actually these pens, I know that you have a great intention. <laughs> this brother, he brings me these pens thinking I'm going to draw on that board. He, he's, <laughs> he's living in a dream world, jazallah khair. So anyway, uh, uh, the most I'll do is when Shazad is here, then I might do some stuff on the iPad. But I'm not moving from where I am, yani. it'll just be like this. And he has this clever thing where he puts it on the projector screen and it comes live on the, on the streaming as well. Yes, mashallah, nice system. Anyway, um, so uh, we, last week, what did we finish? We finished the concept um, or the issue, the controversial issue, of course, of the eating of camel meat. And it's breaking the wudu. An interesting mas'ala because as we saw last week, the majority of the scholars do not accept that it breaks the wudu. In actual fact, they consider it to be abrogated. Only the Hanbali Madhab consider it to be an uh, ongoing and correct ruling. And they believe therefore that the camel meat uh, does indeed break the wudu. And we talked about that in detail. We're not going to cover that again. So today, we move on to the next and the final point. Number nine, everything Everything which obligates ghusl, obligates wudu. Everything which obligates ghusl, obligates wudu, other than death. Other than death. Uh, 
and carry on reading the text of Imam Al-Hajjawi, he then says, and whoever is certain, this is like a separate point, it's like a, an ending to the, uh, it's like a, a, a addendum right towards the end. Whoever is certain of their state of purity, their wudu, but doubts whether they became ritually impure, i.e. they did hadith, became broke their wudu. So whoever is certain of their state of purity, but doubts whether they became ritually impure, or the other way around completely, so that means they were in a state of impurity and then they uh, uh, doubt whether they did wudu or not, they must build upon certainty. Must build upon certainty. Whoever is certain, now a different scenario, whoever is certain of having been in both states, purity and impurity, but can't work out which state came first, purity or impurity, then let him consider himself to be in a new state, which is the exact opposite to what he was in before these two final states. Now that's a complicated sentence which will need some explaining. It's actually quite an interesting mas'ala. And Shaykh Uthameen alayhi rahmatullah, he goes into quite a bit of detail about that. And then the last thing which Imam al-Hajjawi alayhi rahmatullah finishes off Zad al-Mustaqni with the, the chapter of Nawaqid al-Wudu is the following statement. He says, and it is impermissible for one without wudu to touch the mushaf, to pray or to perform the tawaf. Three things. It is impermissible for one without wudu to touch the mushaf, to pray or to perform the tawaf. Again, a reminder to everyone here, this is the priest, this is the seminal text in the Hanbali Madhab. Okay? And we will be studying whether these are positions which can stand the test of evidence, whether the majority of the scholars agree, and what does the contemporary statements, and especially Shaykh al Uthameen, was his position, and then what is our class position on these issues. So let's start then from the original statement, the, uh, the final thing which breaks wudu. Everything which obligates a ghusl obligates wudu, other than death. What does that mean? Shaykh Uthameen, he says that this is what completes the nawaqid, the things naqid, nawaqid. Yes, naqid singular, nawaqid jama, meaning the things which invalidate. Yep. He goes, everything that causes, this is a principle, he says, this is a dhabit. So whenever Shaykh al Uthameen says that this is a dhabit or qaida, then this is something which is important to memorize because it's a principle that will be applied in this field and other areas of fiqh and it can be then made qiyas upon. So he goes, this is a dhabit, that there is a principle that everything which establishes ghusl, obligates ghusl, therefore necessitates wudu to be made as well. This is what the Hanbalis are saying. Alright? He says that therefore, obviously, Shaykh Uthameen goes, we need to know what obligates ghusl. He goes, we don't even know that yet. The author has actually just given a statement uh, as an introduction because he started with the, the things which obligate wudu and the things which obligate ghusl are going to come afterwards, actually in a couple of weeks' time. So he goes, we will see with that uh, soon, inshaAllah. He goes, فَالْحَدَثِ الْأَكْبَرِ يَدْخُلُ فِيهِ الْحَدَثِ الْأَصْغَرِ The idea is, is that the major impurity when we have major impurity, such as sexual impurity, okay? And by the way, I don't want anyone to shoot me in this lesson, okay? This is a lesson where we talk very frankly about a number of issues. I know that you packs are really sensitive about things like that, yeah? And I need to get home because I have a couple of small kids. And the older ones I don't, I don't worry too much about, yeah? But the little ones I do like, yeah? yeah? I do want to see them again. So don't, yani, attack me. We're going to be talking about passing wind. I don't want anyone to, yani, I don't want you laughing. That's okay, but don't hit me or shout out, Allahu Akbar! 
or something like that. Okay? And we're going to talk about impurity. And of course, when you're talking about major impurity, it's very difficult to think of uh, uh, examples other than sexual impurity and al-janaba and so on and so forth. We have no problem this end, right, in explaining it. But I do get nervous around a lot of packs here, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay. So, um, he goes that when a person ha- has, uh, is in a state of major ritual impurity, and a reminder, of course, that ritual impurity does not mean something physically impure. A major ritual impurity is meaning you are in a state, it's like a state, it's a hal, that you are ritually impure, but in a major state of impurity. So for example, if someone is sexually impure, it's possible that they're the cleanest person ever. They have not a trace of anything upon their body, they are super clean, their body is clean, perfume is fine, but they have to make ghusl. Because, and that's the important lesson that we learn in years one and two, that when we make wudu and ghusl, it's not to clean the body. There's no, there's no function of cleansing behind tahara in its ritual sense. It's a spiritual purification. It is possible for us, you know, a lot of people, they go overboard in their, their making of wudu. It's actually because some of them just don't understand. Actually, you're not trying to clean your hand like you would if you're having a bath. Okay, like a ghasl, like washing. There's a difference between a ghasl, as we learned last week and week before. There's a difference between a ghusl, which is a actual, technical, legal bath, and a ghasl, which is to wash yourself. So ghasl is washing, ghusl is the, the, the act which occurs when you do that washing in a specific order with the intention of lifting the, uh, the uh, oh Allah, lift this state of ri- um, a major ritual impurity from me. That's of course an intention in the heart, it's not a statement upon the tongue. So. Um, so it's important to understand that when you are ritually impure, it's not something which is physical, okay? It's a state. And when you are, a, a, when you are ritually impure major, al-hadith al-akbar, then this includes the fact that you are ritually impure from the minor point of view, such as when you go to the toilet, such as if you go for a number one or number two. You use those phrases here, Paksan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number one, number two? Yeah, yeah. number, do number? <laughs> Is that how you go? Like Chota bara. <laughs> bara. Even better. Small and big. Even, even better, mashallah, very good, okay? So both this principle is the same, yes? That these are the things uh, which are like sleep, passing wind, going to the toilet. These are the things which are establishing a small or minor uh, uh, ritual state of impurity. So for example, he goes, that if there is a emission of sperm, all right? Now sperm itself is very interesting, al-mani, al-mani, okay, in Arabic. Sperm itself is a pure substance. It's actually pure. So if it was on clothes, it technically does not need to be completely removed for the, for the prayer, for example, to be acceptable. All right? Because it's a pure substance. But in its coming out and the manner it comes out, it actually has to obligate in that person a ghusl because he becomes in a state of a junub. And he is in a state of janaba, sexually impure. He goes that um, when it comes out, it's coming out, despite its, pure, its purity, it obligates ghusl. The fact that it comes out from the two sabilain, uh, from one of the two sabilain, meaning the two orifices, which we've covered before at the beginning of this chapter, anything which comes out of the orifices is also an indicator for wudu, it's an invalidator of wudu. So because it comes out of one of those two, it also creates in itself a state of minor ritual impurity as well, and so therefore it is combined. Shaykh Uthameen, he says, you know what? I'm not too sure about this. He goes, Fi nafsi shay. Fi nafsi shay is a phrase that the scholars use in Arabic. 
It means like, I just don't feel right about this. Fi nafsi, in my soul, in my heart, you know, you know, when he has something, he got not sure about that. He doesn't want to come across as rude or anything like that, and he understands. And of course, this is a position of uh, the, the, uh, a large number of scholars. He says uh, in his argument, he says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Ma'idah, he says, وَإِن كُنْتُمْ جُنُبَا And if you are in a state of sexual impurity, فَاتَّهَّرُوا Then purify yourselves. Purify yourselves. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as a result of that impurity has only obligated making ghusl. Only obligated making ghusl. He did not obligate the washing of the four limbs. By that, by the way, wudu, okay, is given a number of terms in sharia. Uh, not necessarily by the Prophet ﷺ, but by the scholars of fiqh. They refer to it in different ways. They call it the minor uh, purity, the minor purification. They might call it the washing. Here's one example, the washing of the four limbs. And by that, they're talking about the hands. And by that, they mean the arms, the face, the head, and the feet. Even though the washing of the head, we know it's not an obligation, it's a wiping. And even though we know that it's possible for the feet to be wiped as well. But in principle, when they talk about the washing of the four limbs, they're talking about making wudu. What does Shaykh Rathameen say? He goes that there's no evidence that when you have janabah, that there's actually a requirement to have to make wudu as well. There are some of the ulama that say you must. So for them, what would happen is that you would do it, so the, as we're going to come to in, in the chapter of ghusl, when you make, want, to, want to make ghusl, they would make you start off by doing istinja making sure that the private parts are clean, and then you would wash yourself in the way that is a sunnah, pouring the water over the head, right hand side first, three times, then left hand side, and job done, washing the feet, uh, because that's the final part. Because the idea is, is that, as you know, back in the day, there was no taps and things like that, you would be washing in a closed container. There's no drain either. And so we have this problem where the water is dirty and it's pooling. And so you would wash yourself, and then you would kind of like step out, and wash one foot, and step out, and wash the other foot. That's the kind of general idea. And so the idea would be that for the ones who obligate both after a major ritual impurity would then say that before you wash your feet, you'd have to make wudu. Yeah, so you'd make ghusl and then after it, ghusl here would be the washing and then the making of the wudu would be a separate action. That is the intended aim by the Hanbali statement here. That's the intended aim. Shaykh Uthaymin, he says, but there's no evidence that the, the, the wudu has to be made. Yani, you can say yes, you can argue that a minor hadith al-Asghar does come under hadith al-Akbar, both happen. But there's no evidence to show that just because both happen, that you need to do two separate washings. And that just one washing itself shouldn't, shouldn't be sufficient. So he says, he goes that the only thing which can, can change that fact that only ghusl is necessary is an ijma'a or something which clearly indicates it. He goes, we don't have that. Because the strongest opinion as far as I'm concerned, Shaykh Uthameen says, is that that if a person is going, is, is in a state of sexual impurity, and he wants to purify himself, all he needs to make intention for is, Oh Allah, this is a ghusl from Janaba. This is a thought in the heart. Oh Allah, this is a ghusl from Janaba. And this, of course, just so that you know, uh, and I'm, uh, for the people who are LP students, I'm going over stuff which you already know. Uh, because it's important, especially in Pakistan, who are uh, the main, well, I don't know if that's fair to say that, but one of the main uh, people or groups of people in the world, Muslim world, that are very fixed on a physical niya, on saying a statement, yes? What you'd be, I mean, you guys all know that, right? You all know that. But what you'd be surprised about is just how fixed other people are as well. 
Like Somalis, for example, they have their own version. Can you believe? And the Africans, the rest of the Africans, they have their own version. And the real, the real classic is the Arabs. The Arabs also have their own version. Of course, we always think that the Arabs have got understood this and they got it all sorted. No, they also have a kind of translation of, you know, uh, like, uh, I don't know how it goes. Yani, I know the Urdu, no, I don't even know the Urdu one, but you know. Whatever, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean, yani, yeah? My Urdu, as you can see, is first class, Behterian Urdu, as you can see. <laughs> but yeah, we have one in Pukhto, which is much easier. Okay, but I won't bore you with that one. So the idea is that the Arabs, they actually can almost physically translate it into Arabic. Anyway. Uh, we know that the Sunnah, of course, is that uh, the basic principle is that there is no evidence for an intention unless it's established. And the, 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 the places where there's a physical near is very, very few, very little, very little places, okay? And at best, we're talking Hajj. At best, uh, and Umrah, Hajj and Umrah. Uh, but outside of that, there is no actual verbal near. So the question is, how does one make near? And this is, this is a doubt for matter, especially for lots of brothers and sisters who have always come from a household that have been always making near all their life. Suddenly they come and hear the Sheikh say that you don't need to make near anymore. And so then they're in this kind of position where they don't know actually what is it that you're meant to do and think and say and how does it work. So I'd like to make this thing easy, okay? If you're in a state of sexual impurity and you go into the bath, there's only two reasons you're going in there. You are either going in there because that's your normal bath time or you feel sweaty or you feel dirty and whatever and therefore your intention is very very kind of linked to that or it's not possible for you to be going into the bath at that time for those things because you don't do it at that time and the reasons are not there for normal. So then it's obviously because of the sexual impurity. You don't need to be thinking anything now because that is the reason you've gone to the bathroom. The problem comes when you're a person for example who's living in a very hot country and you're sweating all the time and you're, uh, part of your day is that you take regular showers. If you're taking regular showers all the time regularly, then it is a bit more important for you to be more focused when it comes to your niyyah. Okay, because it is, because uh, uh, showering, salah is easy. Yeah, and no one goes to do salah except you want to go and do salah. But showering is something that you do for other reasons, do you understand? And the actual physical acts that you do could act for the deen and could act for dunya. Non-Muslims also shower all the time in the exact same way. You can pour water over your head and wash the right hand side. I mean, that's something which anyone could do. So you do need to be very specific when you are washing many times a day. But if you're not, then you don't need to be having something in your heart. Oh Allah, this is ghusl for janaba in this way. Whatever. You don't need to be thinking in that manner. Just relax, go into the bathroom. We know that you're not there for any other reason. That's the, that's the uh, understanding of how to, uh, how to uh, uh, apply the intention from the heart. إِلَّا الموت. So everything which uh, obligates, what did he say? He said, everything which obligates ghusl obligates wudu other than death. What do, we, what do we mean by that? Anyone know? What does that mean? What does, he, what, what does Imam al-Hajjawi even mean by that statement? Anyone? It's okay by the way, this is a class where we can speak and stuff. It's not like normal lecture, yeah. Okay, and therefore what is he saying? What he's saying is that on death, it becomes mandatory for us to give that body wasn't. But anything other than that, uh, which, the, which applies in the case of also does not necessarily apply. Good, good. That's it. He's talking about a person who passes away. This principle applies across all, uh, all lines except for the one who's passed away. We are obligated to wash him, but we do not need to make wudu for him. This is what the Hanbali uh, Madhab is putting forward. Is this position correct? Let's see. 
Imam Shaykh al-Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, he said, فَالْمَوْتْ مُوْجِبٌ لِلْغُسْلِ Death is an actual sabab that obligates ghusl. But it does not intrinsically by itself obligate wudu. So dying, I know this sounds a bit kind of macabre and kind of dodgy, yeah, or, or whatever, but it's, that's, it's, it's obviously it's a fact. It doesn't actually obligate you to make wudu. And so what the Shaykh says, is, this is the reason why Shaykh Uthameen is the best when it comes to explaining things. He just always throws a good example in. This is a bit of an extreme example, but it's a good one to understand. Masala. He goes, if you have a person with you and he dies, okay, and we need to get him ready quick. He goes, if you, if you dunk him in the river, okay, literally, he goes, yeah, and if you, you know, if you dunk him in the river, with the intention that this is the washing for him. Because what is washing? When we come to ghusl in a couple of weeks' time, you'll realize obviously we have lots of detail about washing this, washing that, whatever. but that's sunnah. Okay, and that's important for us to understand that every action is broken down into its parts. It's rukan, uh, arkan, it's obligations, wajib, wajibat, and it's sunnah. It's yani, uh, uh, recommended matters. The completion, the perfection of the action. And so of course we should always be aiming for the sunnah to do an action in a complete way. But let's say we don't have time, or let's say that we don't have whatever reason. You want to just do something quick, well then it's the obligatory things that you need to do. And you're going to find, when we come to it, that all you need for ghusl is to wet their entire body. To actually wet their entire body and have the intention for ghusl. Therefore that's why in the humbly madhab, if a person was literally to, you know, to run off the cliff, and hold his nose and say, Bismillah Allah Akbar and jump in. He doesn't say Bismillah Allah Akbar, I'm just imagining the <laughs> scenario. But yeah, and if he did that, okay, and he went to himself, whatever. If he did that, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and he jumps in, and then when he comes back out, it's done. According to the Hanbalis, his ghusl is done, everything is done, doesn't need to wash anything because it's all about wetting the area. Even uh, unlike the Malikiyah and other madahib, the actual act of rubbing is not something which is obligatory. But there's a lot more detail in that, we're going we're gonna to discuss that. So Sheikh Uthameen, he says, is that if a person had dead person there, and they were to literally kind of you know, dunk him almost, or wash him in the, in the river, with the intention of this is the ghusl for the mayit, kafa, sufficient. It's done, job is done. He goes, فَإِنَّهُ يُجْزِئِ يعني It's sufficient. Shaykh uh, Uthameen then goes, he goes, but he goes, this had من غرائب العلم He goes, this is from the oddities of, of knowledge. What does he mean by that? Uh, he doesn't criticize the position, by the way. You know, but when, he, when a person says, this is غريب, strange, ajib, يعني it's almost like a criticism. No, he says, هذا من غرائب العلم The oddities of knowledge. Like you'll find that there are certain aspects when you study, there are some strange issues. Yani they don't obviously make sense immediately, but uh, they are actually okay and, and, and good to go with. So, he goes, uh, he goes, he goes, uh, how would anyone actually prevent, or how, how could anyone not consider wudu for the dead person, when the Prophet ﷺ very very clearly said, uh, start with uh, 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 with her right side and the areas of wudu. wudu minha. Who is this referring to? Anyone know? The daughter. The daughter. Very good. Who? Which one? 
This is Zainab, okay? Zainab radiallahu anha, when she passed away, this is the, the hadith of Zainab is the hadith that we build all of our ghusl upon. Okay, because the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't wash her himself as, as is the correct way, and he instructed other female sahabiyat to do it, and he told them exactly what to do how to wash, where to wash, what to start from, how to perfume, how to put the kafan, how many sheets, etc., etc., etc. Huge subject of fiqh of death, of course. So he uh, uh, told them start with the right hand side and the positions of wudu. Starting with the right hand side and positions of wudu is an indicator of the action of wudu. Okay, and this is what Shaykh Uthameen says. He goes, why would you take wudu out of this issue anyway? He goes, um, because so why is it then that the, so the, he goes, so why is it then that they only said ghusl? Why did the madhahib, or the, this madhab, why did they only say uh, wudu, and they only say ghusl, and for the dead person? He goes, because that's the only thing which evidence indicates. The evidence does not actually indicate the actual obligatory nature uh, of of, of thing. And he also mentions another point. He goes that normally when you would indicate wudu is to try and lift some kind of state of ritual impurity. But that continues. The actual state of the death is a permanent state obviously. And so whatever you do with respect to wudu is not going to lift the actual state of this body in principle anyway. So it's actually like almost a different separate act of worship that we only... Um, uh, that we only do because of the evidence to say that we should do ghusl. Anyway, he, go, he goes... In end, he goes to be honest. We agree that when it comes to death, the only thing that death obligates upon the dead person is that we make ghusl for them, not wudu. Because of the absence of any clear evidence for the necessity of the wudu, even though actually the the uh, uh, the position that we understand is that wudu is also obligatory because of the Prophet ﷺ said start with the right hand side and the areas of wudu that you have there and he goes uh, but in any way in any case a person d- does it it will be sunnah but it will not be an obligatory uh, thing upon them is that clear now the understanding of that particular sentence okay now the issue is the next sentence which is talking about it's now separate now we've now completed the the nawaqid uh, al-wudu the invalidators of wudu and now he wants to talk about the position of uh, a person being in a state of wudu or in a state of what do you guys call the other state in Urdu no, no, outside. No, no, outside of wudu. In, in, in Urdu, I mean in your own language. If a person has wudu, what do you call him? Bewuzu? Bawuzu. In wudu. Outside? Bewuzu. Just any. Bemba. Zabar and Zir. I haven't said Zabar and Zir for a long time. Zabar and Zir. Huh? I was going to say Fatha and Kasra. Zabar and Zir. Yeah? So the question is now, this entire chapter is all about how to understand what to do with a person who's not sure about whether he is Bewuzu or Bawuzu. All the converse and the Arabs and Somali thinking, what on earth is going on here? The packs have hijacked our lesson. So when the person is in wudu or out of wudu. So he goes then, so whoever, so the first part is simple. Whoever is certain of their state of purity, 
But doubts whether they become whether they became ritually impure or the other way around, they must build upon certainty. It's a very straightforward uh, principle. Ya'ani Sheikh Uthameen says, إِذَا تَيَقَّنَا أَنَّهُ طَاهِرْ وَشَكَّ فِي الْحَدَثْ فَإِنَّهُ يَبْنِي عَلَى الْيَقِينِ وَهَذَا عَامٌ فِي مُوجِبَاتِ الْغُسَلِ أَوْ الْوُضُوءِ If a person is sure that he is pure, in set of purity, He's sure that he's in wudu, ba wudu, okay? And he's now thinking, am I maybe be wudu? Yeah? I think I like the way this ba wudu, be wudu, to be honest. It has, like a, it has like a flow. Yeah. So, I know I'm ba wudu, but is it possible that I'm be wudu? <laughs> yes? Yani, I know I'm tahir, but am I possibly I'm muhdith as well? Am I yani, in a state of ritual impurity? It doesn't matter whether this is in a, a, a talking like a minor state of ritual impurity or major state of ritual impurity. It doesn't matter which one this is referring to. The principle is you build upon certainty. Yani, you build upon certainty, which is the fact that he was tahir, that he is uh, uh, in wudu, mutawaddi, yani, he is in a state of wudu, wa khalas, and then he builds upon that. He goes, for example, Rajulan, tawadda ala salatul maghrib. A man, he makes wudu for salatul maghrib. Yes? فَلَمَّا أَذَّنَ الْإِشَاءِ وَقَامَ الْيُسَلِ شَكَّهَ هَلَ انْتَقَضَ وُضُوءَهُ أَمْ لَا He's now prayed maghrib and he's now staying in a masjid. The adhan for isha goes off. He then says to himself, Am I, did I break my wudu or not? Did I break my wudu or not? Is my wudu sound or not? فَالْأَصْلُ عَدْمُ النَّقْضِ فَيَبْنِعَ الْيَقِينَ وَهُوَ أَنَّهُ مُتَوَضِّعَ and unless there's a clear evidence to show the contrary, I stay upon what I was. Therefore, I'm in wudu and I continue as it was. Mithalun akhar, another example. We're on page 311 of Sharh Mumtia. You can see that on the portal. You can just click on that. You'll see it there following the lesson. This is interesting. Okay, A man wakes up at night time and he, see, he feels moisture. So he's not sure. Now, where did this moisture, this wet, not moisture, any wetness, wetness. Yeah? وَلَمْ يَرَى إِحْتِلَامًا But he can't see any sign of having any ejaculation or wet dream. He can't see any sign. فَشَكَّ هَلْ هُوَ مَنِيٌّ أَمْ لَا So he's now not sure. Is this wetness money? Is it sperm or is it not? He's not sure. فَلَا يَجِبُ عَلَيْهِ الْغُسُلِ الشَّكِّ Because of the doubt, there is nothing that's obligatory upon him. There's no evidence to suggest that this could be sweat, it could be this, it could be that. There's no reason for us to actually consider that this is something which is so serious as money, which is going to obligate a, a, a ghusl. The asal is that he, he didn't do it, and therefore he does not have to make a ghusl. He goes, huh? Now let's say another scenario. He, same person wakes up and he does see money. But he's now not sure, is this from today? Is it from before? Is it from Qareeb time or Ba'id time? Meaning many nights before or has it just happened something now because he hasn't seen? What's the ruling now? What do you think? Uh, the is obligatory for him. Because? Because of the fact that he has seen that. He's seen it but he's not sure, is it from Qareeb time? Like now-ish? Last night? Even if it was last... If, even or, Ba'idah, maybe a couple of nights before. Yeah, uh, and, uh, because even if it was like uh, before three nights, yes. he, has, he hasn't done the ghusl. Okay. He hasn't, been, he hasn't been, made the intention for the ghusl. All right. So he has to do it right now. What is the two states comparing then? There's no doubts. So where, where's the doubt? No, no, where is the doubt? If we have two scenarios here... Okay, so, so, so the time. 
So which time has the doubt? The current time. The which time? The current time now. Is Why is the current time? Because he's doubting that it could be before. So that's what I'm saying. You've got two scenarios. Which one has more doubt? The previous time. Obviously, the previous time. Was no doubt is that he's seen something now. But he's not sure. That's why we said he's not sure. Even in the language, and he's there, yes? He's not sure whether this was from so the previous time. So that's obviously doubt. So he yabniya al And therefore, this is why it's such an important principle this is. Okay, to be applied everywhere. Another qaida, muhimma, Shaykh Uthameen says. You build upon certainty. And so here we now know that it doesn't matter actually even if it was from before. Because we're not sure whether it was from before. But we know that we've just seen it now. Where it definitely then must be at least from now. Much greater chance. Therefore, he must make a ghusl. And he goes, the dalil of that. The dalil of this principle is something which you all know and we've covered in this class many, many times. But again, is the hadith of Abu Huraira and Abdullah ibn Zayd. May Allah be pleased with them. Because a man, he, he, he felt something in his stomach. So, he was not sure. You know, like he feels like gas and this and that and he didn't feel comfortable. He was not sure whether he passed wind or not. So he said that to the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This famous hadith, which I think one of the most important hadith in Islam. In Islam. Okay? This hadith is not just a hadith which clears up purificatory issues. This is a hadith which kills shaitan and psychology, the psychology of shaitan. Waswas yani completely. It's, it's importance. I have seen this hadith uh, applied. It, it dominates our, our thoughts because shaitan, one of his strongest weapons is waswas to just whisper, 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 whisper. And we know that that creates such a horrible situation in people where they're not sure all the time. They're always doubting, they're always checking, always doubting. And we know that, especially we know from our families, people, they spend so much time in the bathroom, they're not sure, have I wiped myself clean? Have I washed myself clean? Have I left some? Is it dripping? Is it this? Is it that? This is the nightmare of so many people. If you understand this hadith, and I've written about this extensively as well, if you want to find more information, I've written about this on the internet, and you can type in you know, necessary kind of words, like urination and doubt and so on and so forth. You will see a number of pieces I've put together. All of these are very important, because you will have someone in your family who's suffering from this, and they're not telling you. And you should look out for it. Wallahi, I look out for it all the time. When I'm with students, when I'm with traveling, when I'm with people, and I see them spending a long time in the bathroom, I always ask them, do you have any issues? Straight up. This, this is, yani, this is we, we started this chapter, of course, with the hadith of, uh, of the women of the Ansar. And the way that they considered that this is an, a time for modesty, and there's a time when to, to learn the religion. And it's important. And you will change someone's life. I'm telling you now, you will change someone's life. Someone who's there spending, it's a horrible thing. 15 minutes and thinking and this and that and have I clean or not. Just pour the water three times and go, khalas. What happens after that? Turqa Allah. It's covered. Don't worry about anything that comes out. Anything that comes out said it's covered anyway, khalas. Ibn Abbas, as we said before, in the, one of the most beautiful actions of Sunnah, Abdullah ibn Abbas, when he felt that he was being attacked by this doubt, he would actually take water and sprinkle it in his underwear, in his underpants. Actual water, so that the water is that the, the dampness is touching, so that never can he, with certainty, say that any wetness I'm feeling is because of that. He knows I put water in, which is genius, yani, You know, <laughs> it's genius. It shows how you. It shows where the focus should be. The focus is in pushing away doubt, not letting the yani, shaitan wants to play on that. He really plays on that uh, feeling. Anyway, so the hadith. What is it? The Prophet 
these two narrations, Abdullah ibn Zayd and Abu Huraira, are slightly different, but the text is, the, 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 in terms of the scenario, one's in the masjid, one's outside the masjid, one person was asking, another one was just inquiring outside. The answer is the same. The Prophet ﷺ said that he does not leave the prayer, he does not break the prayer, meaning he has not break the broken wudu, he is not considered to have passed wind until he hears a sound or he smells something. Alright? So a feeling is not enough. Because a feeling is exactly what shaitan makes you think. Did I feel that? Is that something that what did this something? You know like when uh, you're in uh, uh, the home and you think someone's cr- something's crawling upon you. Yes? And then you touch it, and khalas, it's all over then. Once you touch this part, then you think it's there, then you think it's there, then you think, and you start something this, that, and that, whatever, and you just start going crazy because you believe that it's there, and there's nothing there at all, right? There was nothing there in the beginning, but you perpetuated that belief, and it gets worse, and it gets worse, and as you can imagine then what happens. Oh, so, um, and what Shaykh Uthman says something very, inter- very interesting. SubhanAllah, very interesting. He goes that this hadith, and the statement of the Prophet ﷺ was said, Ma'a He goes, this was said whilst the, an actual supporting proof that the wind had been passed is actually there. So the Prophet ﷺ actually said this hadith that, no, no, he's okay until he hears a sound or he smells something. He said that, whilst knowing that one of the other ways that we definitely know that someone breaks their wudu and passes wind is when he feels it. By the way, I want you to know that if you feel something definite, okay, and you don't smell something or hear anything, you've, you've broken your wudu. I want you to know that. If there's death, because it's possible. Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> it's possible. It's possible, all right? But you yourself are not going to be the one who is going to be making, you know, sitting there and if it's done, it's done. But when you don't have any kind of confidence and you, you know, I'm not sure, it's out, out the window. Don't even think about it. But if it's done, then it's done. So uh, Shaykh Uthameen makes the point, he goes that the Prophet ﷺ has established his principle despite the fact that you, you believe that one of the actual reasons for breaking the wudu is actually there, that you felt something. So this is um, an important point. Here now, Sheikh Uthameen talks about what is a very interesting uh, side point, as Sheikh Uthameen always likes to do, uh, establish principles outside of deen as well. The concept of al-aqs and the opposites as well. Because in the text, uh, 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 Sheikh uh, Imam al-Hajawi, he says the opposite as well, if it's the other way around. Yani he's broken wudu, is certain, and did he make wudu? No, he's, his wudu is broken. He needs to make wudu. This al-aqs thing, right, we need to say as students of knowledge, because we have come across it for the first time now, we need to understand, is it actually acceptable in Sharia to establish an evidence based upon the reverse? Based upon the, uh, what's the, the right word for it? Based upon the, the, the opposite? opposite. opposite. The op- no, not the, I don't think it's opposite. Converse. The converse. I think the converse, I think, is the more correct word. If this is correct, then the converse is, or the... the, the, the not vice versa. Vice versa is the exact opposite, actually. Vice, vice versa means exactly the same. Isn't it? Vice versa. Right? Or is that wrong? It's the exact opposite. Vice versa. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. So that is, so that is a good example, then vice versa. So maybe ax is, is the best word for ax is vice versa. Yes. That, or is that exact opposite? Okay. 
Mirror image? And the mirror image is the same, Yara. Oh, you mean the fact that it looks different? No, 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 man. Would that work, mirror image? Anyway, anyway the point is, is that, uh, how do we, well, his point is that, how do we understand the concept of um, establishing evidences according to the opposite? This is called Qiyasul Aqs. Can we make an analogy based upon something and make a ruling on the opposite? This is the question. Alright, this is the question. What is the evidence for that? Anyone know? Anyone can think of an evidence to establish a rule. What's the rule? That we can do Qiyasul Aqs. What is Qiyasul Aqs? That we can use a fact and deduce a ruling which is the opposite. In Sharia, this would be a very important tool if we did it. Can we prove this yes. tool? What would the evidence be? Like the Hadith that uh, the two bloods are halal, the two body organs, the ones with blood are halal, so that shows that everything else before blood is halal to each. I have to think about that. Mm. I don't think that that has been used as a primary evidence. But it is used to interpret that. It's used to interpret it, but not a primary evidence. Why, why am I saying primary evidence? Not from that angle. The reason I say primary evidence is that what if I said to you, what if I asked you, has the Prophet said so-and-so, so therefore so-and-so? He himself, that would be a primary evidence. Because when you're talking about the flowing of blood, you're doing the so-and-so. You're doing the istidlal. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're saying it's flowing blood, therefore it must be... But you could be wrong. How are we going to trust your interpretation of the hadith? Other, other scholars don't interpret it like you do. So that's not a primary evidence. Primary evidence, we want the Prophet ﷺ to do it for us. And establish the principle. Who can think of a hadith? Yes. Absolutely. Excellent. Well done. If I had sweets, I'd give you a whole packet. MashaAllah. Perfect answer. The Prophet said, uh, a man came to him and he said, He said that in the relations with your wife, there is a sadaqah. He goes, O Messenger of Allah, will a one of us go and fulfill his desires? And he gets a reward for it as well. And he gets his desires filled and he gets ajr for it as well. Have you not seen that if he was to do it in haram, then he would be punished? He goes, if he's going to do it in haram, well, likewise, if he puts it in halal, he gets a reward for it. This is the perfect evidence. He has done the qiyas al-aqs for us. So therefore, we've established the principle. So when we now, that's why we call it primary evidence, because now we've got it, now we can do what you wanted to do. And make a ruling upon the animals that are halal to eat because of flowing blood, they're not flowing blood, etc. Now, we can make a principle to say that if there is a, there is a, a impurity first, uh, uh, and then it is pure, then you build upon certainty. And if it's the other way around, then exactly the same. But this is the principle that has to be established. وَكَذَلِكَ وَكَذَلَوْ كَانَ عَلَيْهِ جَنَابُ وَشَكَّ هَلْ 
Sheikh, and he just goes, he just goes into this point a little bit more. He goes, I want to say that He goes, I want you to just know that the building upon certainty and throwing away shak is a qa'idah muhimma. It's a very important principle in our sharia. This has been indicated. If for someone he has doubts in his prayer, then let him throw away the doubt and build upon what is certain. And so that is the same hadith which allows us, for example, that we're not sure three or four or what do we do? Yeah, I forget this man, we'll just consider it to be three and I'll just do the other rakah of four. That's the basic principle and the basic ruling which is created as a result for that. He goes, walaha, and this is my point, what I was saying about why it's not just the most important hadith in tahara, this is in fact salah. And actually I said to you in psychology of the Muslim, he goes, walaha furu'un kathiratun jiddan fit talaq. والعقود وغيرهما من أبواب الفقه فمتى أخذ بهذا الإنسان انحلت عنه إشكالات كثيرة وزال عنه كثير من الوسواس والشكوك وهذا من بركة كلام النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وحكمه وهو أيضا من يسر الإسلام وأنه لا يريد من المسلمين وقوع في القلق والحيرة he said that not only do we use this principle in the issues of divorce and contracts and so many other issues in actual fact this is something which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has allowed on the tongue of His Prophet from the blessing of His speech and His wisdom to create a system and a principle that takes away many of the stresses and doubtful matters in life. Many of the doubtful matters in life and stressful moments. And in fact, the Prophet wants all of their issues to be very clear. Super clear. Well, if you understand this statement, there's a lot of khair in it. There's a lot of khair in it. We, our deen is clear. Every matter is clear. So if you come across a matter which is doubtful, then it's not going to establish anything. It doesn't mean anything to us. Our religion, and of course this is the manhaj of Ahl-Sunnah. Okay? In Surah Al-Imran, at the beginning, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts down the methodology of Ahl-Sunnah versus the methodology of Ahl-Bid'ah, that, the comparing the two. Yani the people who have, Okay, those people who have deviancy in the heart, فَيَتَّبِعُونَ مَا تَشَابَهَ مِنْ They are the ones who are always yani, uh, following the doubtful matters and the unclear uh, uh, matters. Yani, uh, 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 in search of their desires and in terms of yani, going away. And الرَّاسِخُونَ فِي الْعِلْمِ Those people who are deeply rooted in ilm. And here does not mean lots of knowledge. Doesn't mean huge scholars and whatever. It's rasikhuna fil ilm, meaning they have good principles, solid foundation. That's what rasikh means, into the ground. Yes? Solid foundation. They said, Kulminendi Rabbina. Yeah, we believe in it. It's all from our Lord. It's all from our Lord. This is the principle. This ayah is not yani, just talking about uh, uh, issues of wudu and doubtful matters. This affects us in our aqidah. If you look at, for example, the Bradleys, for example. If you look at their beliefs, right? I mean, completely objective. You've got to now stop being a sectarian from your own sect or own way and just look at it completely objectively. When you look at their statements and their principles of belief, the, int- the, fascinating, interesting, the fascinating thing is that the clear verses of the Qur'an they seem to kind of like ignore. And the ones which there's possible to make some kind of ta'wil on, there's something which is possible could work for them, and some of them could. Some of the verses could work for them. 
they build their entire house upon it. It's like a person, he's got solid good clay, good land, and he goes, I'm going to go and build my house upon the marshland, where the water, everything is sinking. Yani no aqil would ever do that. Would never build yani, on that. He would build upon solid land. And that's actually what they do. They're trying to fool themselves. They, they, they're trying to fool others and they end up fooling themselves. They'll sink with it. So this is a very important principle that actually exists. Ahlul Sunnah always very strong against doubt. And I'll end with this point. Shaykh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shanqiti, something wallahi very valuable. Wallahi very valuable to be honest. Um, he gives us a... He gives a... Uh, he gives... Where has it gone? Huh? No, is that... Yes. He goes, let's talk about what actually certainty is. You know, we say it, isn't it? Certainty and doubt. He goes, let's actually talk about what it is. So you might want to write this down. This is really nice. He goes, that, he goes, Yaqeen is Ahad Muratib al Ilm al Arba. He goes, the, the scholars have divided knowledge, knowledge, or data, knowledge, knowledge, ilm, into four levels. Four levels. What are they? Yaqeen. Anyone next? Zan. Next. Shak. And finally, Waham. Waham. So what did we say? Yaqeen, Zan, Shak, Waham. Okay, four phrases. Translated into English would be Yaqeen is certainty. Zan is... Probability, uh, 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 one is, huh? No, not uncertainty. Likely, possible, uh, 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 likely, possible, probable, these are the kind of words, yeah? I haven't really thought about it too much to think of the perfect uh, uh, translation. For next lesson, I will I will get a nice translation when I look at the Qamusat and, and uh, uh, or the Qamus, I should say. <laughs> just created my own plural. And uh, 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 find a nice word for it. But yeah, any probability, what's probable, what's likely, what we kind of believe yeah, and is, is reasonable, beyond reasonable doubt or whatever. And actually in English, in, in, in the English criminal system, uh, one is beyond reasonable doubt. Because shek is the third one, which is? Doubts and waham, I'm not sure how to translate it as waham is less than doubt. It's like um, it's not a lie. It's uh, something which is not likely to be true. What's that? It's the opposite of one. It's the opposite of probability. So what, what would you say in English? Is that uh, we'd actually say it's not likely. Conjecture. Conjecture is a feeling. Conjecture is a feeling. Conjecture is a feeling. Is a feeling. Is a feeling. So, what? Conjecture is You're not sure. You're not sure. Yeah. You're expl. Yeah. Yeah. A hunch. It's like a gut feeling. Yeah. It's. It's. I mean, the most most important for me to explain it. The word again is difficult to find. Yes, but it's not likely. Is the word. Not likely. It's the opposite of one. Something is likely and then not likely. To make it clearer, Sheikh Muhammad Bukhtar Shankiti, he puts percentages down. So he says, he goes, what is waham? He go, goes, bidayatul ilm bishay. He goes, this is the beginning of trying to achieve knowledge. 
the beginning part of, 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 cert, of certain knowledge. He goes, Qaddaruhu, he goes, they gave it a number of between 1% to 49%. <coughs> likelihood. This is a scale of likelihood. So waham is 1 to 49. Yani, this is, I mean, Arabic is so easy, but in English we're struggling. It is the dhan al-marjuh opposite to al-dhan al-rajih. Al-dhan al-rajih is a beyond reasonable doubt. That's al-rajih, the strong likelihood. So, like, it's like, I lift this phone up and I say, is this Apple or is this Android? Okay, so if someone says this is Android, then he, that's his opinion. And if I say this is Apple, then this, and we're debating because it does not look, it doesn't look very clear. So we're now got this run, we're conjecturing. Okay, we are in a state of conjecture over this phone. And suddenly we press it, we see the Apple sign, ha. Huh. It's al-dhanna al-rajih, now beyond reasonable doubt, or we moved actually. Uh, that was the wrong example. Because when I pressed it and saw the Apple sign, it became? Certainty, certainty. yeah? Not certainty, okay? <laughs> All right. You know, honestly, I've got to say it live right now online. No, I can't say it, I can't say it. Okay, I can't say it. One of my closest friends, one of my closest friends, he was one of our top scholars, he is obsessed with that word. He cannot say certain certainty at all. And he, every time he goes, and it is from the certainty. Okay? <laughs> He's Arab, by the way. Don't, don't, the packs don't feel thinking. He's Arab, yeah. And we rip him over it every time. Actually, I'm the only one who rips it over him. Anyway, he's our senior, senior sheikh. Anyway, uh, until I pressed it, I saw the, okay, I saw the button. So we know, everyone knows that the Apple has this kind of button, yes? But we also know that there are other phones that have this kind of button as well. But when I saw that, I was almost sure now that this is now an Apple. When I pressed the sign and the Apple sign came up, then we knew, right? What happened after we saw the button? It became a dhan al-marjuh, that it is an Android. It is now very unlikely that it is Android. We still need certainty to cut it out. But it was now dhan al-marjuh. And that 1 to 49% is a nice way of understanding the likelihood, number-wise. Amma shak, what do you think shak is? 49 to... Think about it. Think, what is shak? What do we define shak as? Doubt. What is doubt? Correct. Correct. It's 50%. You're not sure. It's either this or either that. It's not yani. If you have any kind of feeling towards one side, then you're in the other category. You're either in waham or in dhan. But it's when you don't know. You don't, you just don't know. Alright? That's shak. Alright? This is because istiwal ihtimalain. It is yani both positions are exactly equal. Okay? Alright. Wa'amma dhan fahuwa arjuh al-ihtimalain. It is the more likely of the two possibilities. That's what dhan is. So it therefore goes from 51 to 99%. And Sheikh said that sometimes this dhan is called ghalib al-dhan. Yani, most likely. So dhan is likely. I'm happy with likely as the translation folks. Yep, for the class. Likely I'm happy with. Because ghalib al-dhan is perfect for most likely. Alright? And then yaqeen is 100%. It has to be absolute yani certainty. 100% فَهُوَ تَمَامُ الْعِلْمِ بِالشَّيْءِ وَكَمَالُهُ It is complete and, uh, 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 knowledge that something is 100% as it is. Perfection. 
and there is no possibility of an opposing opinion. There is no possibility of an opposing opinion in the issue, and therefore it is 100%. And it is what some of the ulama, they use in their understanding of these four levels of uh, doubt, and it's one way that we can get rid of the, uh, uh, the, the, the problem. I think we'll call it there. I think that was good. I think that's enough for today. I think that's what we'll do is and then we'll start next lesson inshallah with um, actually the difficult part of the text. When you know that you've definitely made wudu and not wudu or you're in a state of wudu, not wudu uh, and you can remember what it was before that then what is the situation now? You take the opposite, blah, blah, blah. We have to give examples and explain stuff, whatever. So I think we'll leave that to uh, next session inshallah. So that's that. Um, any questions on the dars itself? Anything? Everyone's cool? Everyone's happy? We covered everything that we wanted to do? Khalas, Zakumullah khair, because uh, we don't have the online uh, uh, people here, and so we can't take any lessons online. Inshallah, for next lesson, next lesson, we'll move into next lesson. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika, shadu an la ilaha illa ant, wa astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu alaykum, Zakumullah khair.